0: We had uh, Representative Stephanie Luck here. That was amazing. She did a, a powerful job. If you guys weren't here, you really did miss them. We did not record it. I've had a lot of people asking about that. We didn't do that on purpose. We've been having um, <clears throat> we've been having just goofiness going on with uh, our recordings and and my sermons and stuff. I'm not saying goofiness from us. People are taking them and editing them and making me sound like I'm saying something I'm not saying and stuff. And um, so we just thought we just weren't going to do that with, um, with Stephanie, and, and it would make her a little more relaxed in this. And so, but, it, but it was a great evening, very educational. Uh, this is the second time I've seen her talk about this stuff, and, and I still learn a lot of stuff through this. Uh, guys, our, our, our country is under siege, and our state is leading the way uh, with two other states, I would say, in the United States right now, trying to be... Um, uh, immoral, trying to be anti-God And she walked through a bunch of stuff to explain that Even a lot of legislation that is is changing How we see certain basic things like um, Life and liberty and, and who we are as human beings created by God She just, she just did an amazing thing And uh, I did want to also mention This has been, I haven't really talked about some of this stuff in a while It's still in the news all the time It's in the news every single week but uh, we're seeing now, so two and a half years ago, when we first started this, this COVID pandemic thing, we, I, I knew this, and I was saying this stuff, but we couldn't prove it for a while, right? I, 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 knew it, I knew it intuitively, and I could also look at some of the numbers from the CDC and things. But then we found out over time that the CDC and the NIH and the WHO, that they were lying to us about this COVID stuff, That it wasn't as bad as it was saying, that everybody was saying it wasn't a pandemic, but we're still in lockdowns, still doing all this other stuff. But they were lying to us about the numbers. And I still hold to the fact that the final numbers on um, COVID deaths and things like that are around 10 to 20% of what's reported. And I got that from the CDC website. I didn't just come up with that number arbitrarily that they were always saying, well, this is COVID and COVID and COVID. And then they would have an asterisk, COVID related. In other words, they died of heart failure, but they had COVID at the same time, that kind of thing. And, um, and, I, and I even mentioned, they, they did this with my mother's death, that they tried to say it was COVID when it was kidney failure. And I made them change the death certificate for this. this now we're seeing this new line of lies um, and that's still being proved. The, the, the CDC guy came out this last week and said social distancing was really just a thing we made up. It didn't, didn't really mean anything. It didn't accomplish anything. Same way Fauci said a month or so ago about masks, that masks were just a joke. Now, now why is this important to us? Because there's a reason why our government lies to us about major things like this. This this is stuff that is vitally important for us to get to the bottom of. And it's not just what is the truth about COVID or something. That's not actually the point. The point is our government is intentionally lying to us and people are dying because of it. That's the problem. Now the whole new batch of lies is the vaccine. They're hiding all of the, the... the information two weeks ago it came out that the military had been hiding and even changing mass numbers of people who are dying from the vaccine. These are, these are people that are serving our country and they're dying. And our, and our government, the, the largest thing we have in the, in the country, which is the military, is lying about this. Now we, we saw, um, there's been a bunch of studies and and here's the here's one that I want to to pick on. There's there's a bunch of stuff. Just just Google some of this stuff and and learn. If you're if you're wondering if I say something up here, and you're like, is, that, is it right? Look it up. I'm either right or wrong. Just look it up. This week, a study came out by Pfizer. Pfizer did a bunch of studies. Now Pfizer's one of the people that are producing the vaccine. So when they come out with a study that makes their vaccine look really bad, pay close attention because it's probably not even as accurate um, as what they're, I mean, they're probably not reporting it as accurately as they should because they're the ones selling it, right? But Pfizer came out with a study that said 44% of pregnant women lost their babies after the vaccine. Almost half, almost half. the babies died because of the vaccine but the rest of the the report was the fact that the cdc and the fda are still recommending the vaccine for expectant mothers now that's a pandemic that's an actual pandemic that's an actual we should be worried about this and specifically young women um and i I said this in the very beginning of this Mother to be women. If you have a desire to ever be a mother, do not get the vaccine. And, and that's one of the, in fact, this one's probably going to be canceled, but that's one, oh, actually we're on Rumble now, so it doesn't matter. But that's one of the, ser, the sermons that got canceled was when I said that stuff and they, and they put the thing on there that said, you are giving um, false information about um, uh, health and medical practices. Guys, this this, now, now a year and a half later, we're seeing 50%, almost 50% of all uh, expectant mothers are losing their babies because of the vaccine. When, when is enough, enough? This is, this is, this is tragic stuff that's going on. And here's the reason I keep saying it is because this is at the hands of the government. The people that are supposed to be there to protect us and everything else. I, I never thought I would say this 25 years ago. Do not trust anything that the government is saying, because they have agendas and it's financially driven and all this other stuff. And they are watch. They are well. Here's part of the deal with the vaccine. So what if it kills half of all the babies? We're killing tens of millions of them all the time anyway. So what does a baby matter that mom wants to keep? Mom doesn't get to decide that. This whole idea that, that um, this is my body, my right, women don't ever fall into that trap. The government does not care if you think it's your body, that you do not have the right over your own body. And they're willing to kill the baby, which is another body. So don't, don't listen to any of this stuff. They're totally okay with your babies dying. Totally. All right. I also wanted to remind us, we are. We do owe three uh, hundred and fifty-ish thousand on our existing loan for all of the stuff that we did for the um, for the water and the sewer and everything. We're looking at the numbers um, in our in our board meetings, trying to figure out what we're what we can do. And our our target right now is to start building the structure in the spring. So <clears throat> so be thinking about this, praying about this. Uh, we think we're we think we're right there, but we need this 350 paid down. So if you if you want to give monthly, you can do that. Some of you already are. Um, if you want to give one time gifts, that kind of thing, we just want to to knock this thing down as much as we can over the next six months or so, and then uh, and see where we are ready to build the building. And we think we're we think we're close. Um, we don't have all the numbers because we have to figure out what it costs to build it again. Now new numbers for that. Uh, which changes about every two weeks, so we're we're but we think we're close. And so be praying about this. Ask God what He wants you to do for the building. Um, if God tells you He doesn't want you to do anything, come let me know that. I'd be interested. But um, but pray about this and see what you can give. See what you can contribute to this. So I've been looking at this subject for a while. Well, I've been looking at this first um, in, in my own life, my own mind, my own spirit, I, I've, I've mentioned this, there is a, there's a part of me, so this is just uh, you know, being a little, um, transparent here and, and uh, letting you know a little bit how I process stuff, but this whole political thing, um, there, is, there is always this push that you should compromise, you should compromise, compromise, and uh, that's a push from lots of different people, almost everybody says you should compromise. And the reason is because if you compromise, you get things done, which I don't really believe that's a true thing. Um, what happens is you compromise and somebody gets something done and the other person loses. That's what actual, actually happens. But with that, there's this, there's this um, thing inside of me, and, and my wife thinks it's like rebellion and stuff. I don't know if she's right about this. But if, if somebody pushes me to compromise, something within me rises up, and says, I don't even know for sure what you're wanting me to compromise about, but now I'm not gonna, right? Does that make sense? So, some of you, that resonates in your mind and spirit too, right? You know what I'm talking about. But the idea that somehow, well, let's just do this so we can all get along. My thinking is, why do I want to get along? I haven't really had a pattern of that in my lifetime. <laughs> so you understand what I'm saying. There is something... Within me that becomes very resistant uh, when people are saying, Well, let's just go with the crowd or go with the flow. I've never ever been a go-with-the-flow person. And also I'm saying to a fault. That that has been a detriment of mine at different times. I'm not a go-with-the-flow kind of person. And part of the reason is because when I see what when when I see everybody going getting going along to get along, it it never seems to end well. Never seems to, to do good. And so I, and I'm, I'm going to speak about that this morning, but, but I also I ran across this article in the Jerusalem Post, or I think it was the Jerusalem Times, or the Times of Israel, and, uh, and it dealt with exactly this subject, which caught me off guard because I, re- I thought it was something else and I was reading the article for a different reason. But let's go to um, Genesis chapter 11, and, and we're going to look at the idea of getting along and agreeing with others and what that means. Uh, In a kind of a macro sense and then a little bit more of an individual sense. But in Genesis chapter 11, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, I talked about the Tower of Babel six months ago or something like that. I'm going to focus on one part of this. This It's not really about the Tower of Babel as much as it is about a certain mindset or thought process involved. In verse 1 of Genesis 11, it says, At one time, all of the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. Now, this is this is not too long after Noah, right? These are the, the descendants of Noah and his family, and um, and and at this time there had risen a, a guy by the name of Nimrod that had become very uh, he had become a superstar. He was like a um, he was like a superhero of this time, probably. Um, uh, even almost to the level of somehow we, the way we see superheroes today, he was physically better than everybody else. He was bigger than everybody else. He was he was um, he was uh, superior in many ways than the average person. And part of that is uh, that he came from the Nephilim. Okay, if you don't know what that is, look that up. You you're about to go down a rabbit trail. You have no idea uh, is involved. But that was part of that. And so he's also like part of these giants. And um, and almost superhuman guys. And by the way, this is not myth. This is in scripture. I'm not making this up. This scripture talks about Nimrod and talks about um, his exploits, and he was he was famous across the world. Okay, so he he is like the uh, king leader of the people at this time frame that happens uh, with this with the Tower of Babel. Okay, so all of these people from the time of Noah, God had told them. Go and scatter uh, across the earth, populate the earth is what he said, not scatter. But go and fill the earth is another way he said it. Go and populate the earth um, with, out of this, uh, these families, the families from Noah and his children, right? So, so that was the first thing. God told them to do this. They weren't doing that. Um, go around the earth, be a blessing to the earth. They weren't doing that. Um, this, is, this is something that has been kind of understood way before the time of Jesus. There was a guy named Josephus that was a historian at the time of Jesus, that in fact, Josephus is responsible for probably the most extra-biblical information that we have about Jesus, which is funny because Josephus did not like Jesus. He thought he was a scam artist, but he records about his miracles, he records about all the stuff that he did and his popularity and all this stuff, and the most information we have extra-biblical about Jesus came from Josephus which is funny because he would have not written it if he thought that was possible. Now, Josephus also talked about the Old Testament stuff, and he recorded some of the historical understanding at the time about the Tower of Babel. And basically what he says, and this has been the understanding of thought for for thousands of years, is that they built the Tower of Babel as as a spiritual testimony to themselves, a humanistic self-approach that we can build this tower and make it um, bigger, and we're going to read down through this, bigger, you know, it can reach into the heavens and all this stuff. And one of the um, historical understandings is that Nimrod wanted to build this tower so, there would, so if a flood happened again, there's already a problem there because God said he wasn't going to do that. But if a flood happened again, they would be higher than the flood. Now, that's the, that's the epitome of human stupidity and arrogance right there. That you can get higher than the water that God had. Although the, the scripture says that the water covered the entire earth. Every mountaintop covered with the water of the flood. But they're going to build a little building that's bigger than all of that? It's just human arrogance. But this was the whole point of this. And so let's look at this. In verse 3, they began, to say, they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This was a, we don't need you, God. We can do this. We can reach into the heavens. And I I think some of the mentality is is we can reach into the heavens and pull God down to our level, which which is a weirdly normal human thinking across the planet. That we can bring God to our level. That's why, that's why human beings create their own gods. That's why there is, a, uh, that's why there is Islam. That's why there's Buddhism and, and Hinduism. Also, if we can create our own gods in the way we want them to be. We design them. We, we structure them. And then they, then they are over us. Jeremiah even made fun of this. When he talks about people take a piece of wood or stone and they carve something of their origin, something they create, they carve it into this wood or the stone and then they pray to it. And Jeremiah was basically saying, how, how stupid is that? You can't get much more dumb than that. You make the thing and then you pray to it. Well, this is kind of the mentality that they're dealing with here. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Although God told them to go all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, after this nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And that is a very important and true statement even to today. That, that, that when, when people unify, they can accomplish just about anything. Even if it's wrong, even if it's bad, even if it's evil. They can accomplish just about anything. And we can see that in certain places around the world, certain countries that they have a, a, just a monolithic mindset because of a religious idea or a, or a political concept like communism or something like that. And they can accomplish amazing things because of the unity of, of humanity. Even if it's, I mean, look at, look at the Nazi regime, it, it's mind boggling what they did and accomplished. Because they were all unified in the same thing. The sad part is, is their unity was, we want to eradicate Jews and anybody else that we don't think is part of the right people, right? So, they won't be able, um, he says, after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. You know, if you, if you uh, Google this right now, if you search Wikipedia for Tower of Babel, you can do that if you don't want to listen to me. But they, it'll say in there that this is a myth, that this is a religious myth. Well, I don't believe it's a myth. I believe this really happened. Why are there different languages today? Well, it just told us right there. You say, well, that's not how it happened. That's, I believe that's how it happened because it's what the Bible says. I know I say this stuff regularly, you guys, how what you believe? Do you believe the Bible is true? If you believe it's true, then I think you act differently than people that don't believe it's true. And I believe that when that says it, it's true. That's it. Where did where did um, Italian come from? Tower Babel, right? I don't know exactly what that looked like or how Italian sounded back then. I don't know, but I know that's what it says. Verse 8, in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. It's interesting that this verse is the, has a, a very strong um, feel, resonation to uh, Acts chapter 8. Remember, Jesus had told them, go, go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel to all the world. You'll receive power to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Go, go, go. Now, he did say, wait in, in um, Jerusalem until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, because you need the power of the Holy Spirit, which we do also. Okay, I would say this, your priority as a Christian, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit right now, if you're not praying in tongues, if you're not um, uh, trying to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then you need to do the same thing Jesus told the disciples to do. Let that be your first priority. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. okay? And then, after that, you need to begin to preach the gospel. But interesting, they didn't do that. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go. They didn't go to all the world. They didn't go start making disciples. They stayed in Jerusalem. And when you don't do what God said, the way he said it, it ends badly. This is where Acts chapter 8 comes in, and Stephen is martyred, and then they scatter. They had not been obedient and scattered before this, and somebody died because of this. And then they all took off, and they went to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Right, we see that same kind of feel and language here. The Lord scattered them. Verse nine. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages, and this way he scattered them all over the world, which is what he had told them. And it's also just very interesting that this same place, Babel or Babylon, the Babylonian region, is still the biggest hot spot in the entire world to this day, and. Babylon is specifically mentioned in Scripture where some of the end time stuff, the big stuff, goes down. In Babylon. This is, this is crazy stuff. And we just, th- th- this is the part that gets me sometimes on a personal level. But then once I've reconciled with it, then I'd look bad at you guys. But I, I, I wonder how easily we take all this. And it's just casual. It doesn't really mean anything. But all of this stuff is so mentioned in Scripture, and we walk through all this stuff, and it's none of it's coincidental, none of it's accidental, and we just kind of take it for granted, and "Ah, it doesn't really mean that much, because this is big stuff. This is big stuff. So here's the article. It's a Times of Israel, guy named Abe Mesrich, Mesrich, whatever. In fact, I had to read this article three or four times, probably more than that. I read it quite a few times. Because I it didn't it didn't click in my head what what he was saying. Now, after I finally got it and I understood, it all became really clear to me. It was a very easily to understand article. The problem I was having was my worldview is so much different than this guy that I couldn't understand that he was saying what he was really saying. I assumed he was being satirical or something, because how could he really believe this? Right, which is about half of what I read nowadays. But I, I, I'm looking at it from a couple points of view. My worldview is a, is a um, Judeo-Christian worldview. I'm a Christian and, and my, my approach to the Bible is a Judeo-Christian worldview approach to the Bible. Right, So there's my starting point. I believe that God is God, that Jesus is God, and that he died on the cross for us to forgive our sins. I have these as givens. God's word is true from beginning to end. That's a, that's a given for me. So all these givens that I have, it makes me think certain things. When I read the story of the Tower of Babel, I see certain things, and I've explained some of those to you. So this guy, he's talking about the building of the new temple. That's what I thought the article about was about, but he's really not. He's talking about the world and the direction of the world and specifically the direction of Israel. And he uses two examples. He uses the Tower of Babel and he uses the tabernacle um, in the wilderness as examples. And he says, now, which direction do we want to go? Do we want to go to the direction of the Tower of Babel or the tabernacle? And basically at the end he says we need to have both, but he defines what that is. Now, with that overview, this is what he says. He says, talking about the Tower of Babel, As scholars have troubled over this for millennia, the story of the Tower of Babel, it isn't clear what these people did that was so wrong. After all, what could be, he's not being tongue-in-cheek. This is where I got confused. After all, what could be a loftier cause than staying united? To keep a community from being scattered all over the world. And yet for some reason, God descends and scatters them all. So in other words and this is the theme to the whole article, God is the bad guy. He's the villain because all of these people were getting along and building really cool things and nobody was in disagreement and then God got upset and this is the this he alludes to this in the article. God got upset because they weren't all focused on him anymore. And so because they were doing really good things without him, he gets insecure and jealous about this and attacks the people and scatters them. It it gets way better. (laughs) He says, talking about God scattering them and messing with them, it's a shocking break, God scattering them, is a shocking break from the unity that comes just before this. All those people with one speech and one global project, hmm, that sounds interesting. One speech and one global project devolve. So when God did something to them, they devolved. They had been evolving. But now God messes with them and they devolve into mayhem over a simple misunderstanding. And then he says, as many have pointed out, we're headed toward a repeat of the Tower of Babel today. Listen to this. Zealots of the left and of the right are unable to speak to each other and are furious that we're not building to heaven in just the right way. His idea of building to heaven is get rid of the left, get rid of the right, And everybody in the middle will be okay. If we all just get along in the middle of the river, we can accomplish just about anything. It's the crazies on the left that have a strong opinion. And it's the crazies on the right that have the strong opinion that are causing us problems. Now, I don't agree with the crazies on the left. Now his idea of left and right, by the way, is not the same idea as ours. Okay, this is a Jewish concept of left and right. But I don't agree with the, with the crazies on the left. In America, the crazies on the left are about immorality, abortion, LGBT, destroying children, mutilating kids at seven years old. That's the mentality of the left. Okay? I don't agree with that. But I do know this. I know what they think. And I know what they believe. I had this conversation with a a political leader just recently about this. They told me, they said, the the biggest problem I have in in our political concept of today is the people in the middle of the road. What, What I call from our party, the rhinos or the establishment. Rhinos is Republican in name only. They don't have any beliefs. They don't have any moral things they're standing on. They just want to get elected or they just want to get money or whatever or have positions of power. Or what. It's just because they'll say one thing to one group and then the next group is totally different. And then when they get elected, they don't ever stand for what anything they, st- they said they stood for. And this person told me, that's the problem I have, really. The left, you know what they believe. I disagree with it, but they're not lying. They tell you what they believe. And then on the far right, which I am, I, I, I've been called a, a far right extremist. I, I don't even know how. To me, when I, when I look out from me, there's a wall behind me and everything is at, There's nothing behind me. The, the extremists are somewhere out in front of me. I believe strongly that God is God over everything. God is God. And I stand for that for everything. I don't have political views. I have spiritual views. That shows me what I'm supposed to believe about everything. And this guy's saying, if you're over here and you really believe something, and you're over here and you really believe something, you're the problem. It's that nice little comfortable unity right in the middle that we should all be striving for. Because at that point, it doesn't matter what you believe. We're all just getting along. And then we let a handful of people, these elitists, make the decisions for the whole planet. And everybody else are just the lemmings that go along to get along. And, he, and the whole article was about the fact that if we could go, move forward in, in our world today, it's going to have to be because we get rid of the right and the left and we're all just in the middle. Now, in his Jewish worldview, and he mentions a little bit of this in the article, he uses the Palestinians as an example. And he talks about how the, the left has their views and the right has their views, but why can't we all just get along in the middle with the Palestinian issue? Well, here's the problem with that. You haven't actually addressed the issue. The issue remains the same. The Palestinians are a terrorist organization trying to take the land from the Jews. That's the way it's been from the very beginning of it. And if you, and if you hear people say, well, that's not really what's going on. It's because they're ignorant of truth. That's the truth. Look up look up, uh, Arafat. Look this up. It's not, it's not hidden. Okay? But the left says, don't give them anything. I mean, give them everything. The right says, don't give them anything. And he just says, well, let's just be in the middle. Well, what is the middle? What is the middle? Give them some, give them not. What what is the middle? See, this is the weird thing about the middle is it's really not definitive about anything. Well, let's not be one of these far right about abortion. Let's just kind of get along. Okay, but babies still die. When do we address the issue? The issue has not been addressed. We're just all trying to get along. And this is where, guys, the the last 50 years the church has gotten worse and worse and worse in is we don't want to deal with the issues. We just want to pretend like they're not there. We just pretend they're not there. So then we can just embrace anything. We just keep embracing it. I just had a, a meeting the other night about some of the stuff going on in public education with the social-emotional learning and all this stuff, and it's amazing how many people are embracing this SEL when it is very destructive. Let let me give you just an example of just the big picture, not the individual details of this, but the big picture. When I went to school, we learned math, writing, grammar, science. Now we put a great deal of emphasis on how you feel. Your emotional IQ, emotional IQ is a statement that came from a Marxist to infiltrate the schools. How you feel. We'll stop learning all the stuff and we'll learn how we can all get along and how we can emotionally connect. It sounds good, but what happened to learning and critical thinking? America is dropping every year worldwide in education. We are learning nothing. And we're graduating seniors that can't even read and write in over 50% of all school districts in the nation. That's a problem. But we're still learning emotionally. Guys, we... There has to come a time when we get out of the river in the middle and say, wait a second, this is not who I am. This is not what I believe. This is not how I think. You don't get to define my God. You don't get to define my life. You don't get to define my spiritual walk. You definitely don't get to define my children. I'm getting out of the river. That is a clap line. That's good. After I said it, I was like, you're right. We should be clapping right now. <laughs> Guys, we're just, we're just doing this. And here's where it starts is, is down in our spirit, at some particular point, you have to decide if God is God. That's really where it starts. Do you, do you really believe God is God? Because then he defines the other stuff. <laughs> Or do you let this creep in, or this creep in, or this sin, or this issue, or this attitude? And pretty soon, you're just going with the flow. And all the people in your world are directly affected by this. Parents, when you compromise, your children are directly affected. You may not see it at that moment, but they're, they're affected by this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, this is what Paul says about let's just all get along don't team up with those who are unbelievers. That's pretty strong. We, we hear this, you know, Jesus came to bring peace. That's a, that's a tricky way to say something. When somebody says something like that, I have to ask them, what do you mean by that? What do you mean Jesus came to bring peace? Because he did come to bring peace in my spirit, in your spirit. But he, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. And, and when you become a follower of Jesus, your worldview will begin to change. And you will start to see subjects differently. And pretty soon, because you are serving Jesus, you are going to be at odds with people that are not serving Jesus because in certain subjects. Okay, when you become a Christian, the, the, the concept that Jesus created every human being now becomes a reality that, bec- that should become part of your worldview. That Jesus supernaturally breathed life into every single person at conception and made them male or female at conception. You can obviously see where that understanding and truth is going to fly in the face of today's worldview. You're not going to be in agreement with some of these things. But as Christians, we have to decide, okay, do I really believe God? Not just believe in him, but do I believe God? And do I believe his word? And do I stand on this? Do I believe? He says, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live in darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? You know, those are the only two options, right? See, we like to think, well, I, you know, I'm a Christian, so I live for the Lord, and then there's everything else. And, we're, and we, we don't even like to say it as Christians. We don't like to say, well, you, you either belong to Jesus or you belong to Satan. We don't like to say that is so divisive. But that's what he just said. But that's the truth. You're either a a follower of God or you're a follower of Satan. Even if you're not actively realizing that's what you're doing. There's only two options. God and the devil. I like like that word. The devil. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? This this has been the problem in business and marriage and a lot of things over the years. We, We... we can connect with and become partners with an unbeliever. And it, and it doesn't end well. Either there comes a moment when you have to stand for something that ostracizes them and destroys that relationship, but you can't compromise, or you give in, which is actually worse long-term. What about marriages? I can't tell you how many marriages over the years I've counseled that they got two people got married. One of them's a Christian, one of them's not. Well, it's not going to end well. You're going two different directions in in a relationship you're supposed to be one in. You say, that that means if if both of them are Christians, they're going the same direction. They're going the same direction. It doesn't mean they're in agreement with everything, but they're going the same direction. A non-Christian and Christian are not even going the same direction. Their allegiance is not the same. Their worldview is not the same. Their understanding is not the same. Their priorities are not the same. And we do this, and then we wonder, why is this thing messed up? Get that kid quiet back there. (laughs) Verse 16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? If we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will live in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God And they will be my people. And then the next word is therefore. It means you look back and you say this stuff is directing the next few sentences. Because God is going to live in us and walk among us. Therefore, our responsibility to that is to come out from among the unbelievers. And separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Because we have these promises, dear friends... Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, physically and spiritually. Sometimes we put uh, Christianity totally in a spiritual category, and it doesn't like directly affect and, and interact with us on a physical body level, because it does. The things you do with this physical body are directly connected to. Um, your spirit, who you are emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And by the way, it is also driven by that. What you do with your physical body is driven by your spiritual walk with the Lord. These are, these are tied together. He says, let us cleanse ourselves and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. 1 John chapter 2, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. That's, that's strong. When you love the stuff of the world, and, and I don't know exactly where the line is. I think it's different for every human, but I don't know exactly where the line is. But I know when I'm loving the world more than I'm loving God, or the things of the world more than I'm loving God. And I love life. I love the stuff of the world. I do. I, I like what we have uh, available for us. Even just simple things like nature, this is why, I, I, I've mentioned this before, 15-something years ago, I went through a time of depression. I never was suicidal during that time of depression. Why? Because there's, a, there's another day. The sun's going to come up. You're going to have the mountains. You're going to have animals. You're going to have jeeps. You're going to have a lot of stuff. You're going to have bacon. I, I went to a restaurant in Denver Friday. It's a Mongolian barbecue place. And I've been to this place before, but they had changed it. Now they had just piles of bacon as one of the things you could cook. I mean just piles. I was like, what is this? Yeah, I know. It was amazing. Now with that being said, I do like the stuff of this world. I do like that. But I also know at the end of the day that these are just things that are there and that God, some of it God has given us, some of it Satan has um, perverted and twisted for us. But I like life and I like this planet and I like what, what we have available for us. But I love Jesus. I serve Jesus. I don't serve that stuff. I'm not bowing my life to that stuff. And if that stuff gets taken away from me, except for bacon, I would be, I would be all right. I would still make it. Right? You understand what I'm saying? What happened if you lost your cars and your house and whatever the, the next day? You actually could figure it out and you could still have happiness and joy in the process. That's not the way we think. But you could if you chose to. And he's saying... Don't crave this stuff. I was just thinking of one thing, just one example. How much we are dedicated to and committed to and all in with and how much it controls our life, just our phones. Just one thing. How much it controls us. Some of you are like, I should change the subject. It's okay. Oh, you have a. I, I was thinking about, though, the other day, this is a couple of weeks ago, I left my phone at home and I uh, came up to the church, you know, for like a regular day. I, I felt like there was something wrong with me all day long. And I reached for my phone a hundred times. Right? You, you're just like, you know? I've been watching a video on my phone before. Cindy I was watching a video on my phone. I did this this week, and I'm like, I need my phone. Where are my? Phone? And I looked all over my office for my phone, but I didn't turn the video off because I wanted to hear the video that I was watching, you know, on my phone. Right? I do that with my glasses too. I'm like, where are my glasses? Until finally, I'm like, right, guys. That's just one thing. You could come up with 20 things just in your life personally that that have a lot of control and influence. Now, I'm not, you know, phone bad kind of thing. The only reason I think phones are dangerous for us is because you have no privacy anymore. You think you do, but you don't. Everything you're doing, words. We were talking about this here in the staff meeting the other day. Um, Somebody, I think it was Kate in the staff meeting, said something about... um, uh, those little snacks called uh, corn nuts. And she said, I, I don't even know what they are. So, so she didn't have an affinity toward corn nuts or, or didn't like them or something like that. Within 30 minutes, she showed the rest of us She had an advertisement on her phone for corn nuts. You think, you're like, no, nah, that's just conspiracy. You're being duped if you think that's conspiracy. How much of this stuff is... Now, here's the part where it comes spiritually. How much of this is spiritually... Do we have to have? How much of this is, well, I've got to have this or because society or this or whatever. You know, we pick on um, kids in junior high because, well, they have to look and act like everybody else. Name one human that doesn't do that at some level. It just seems more obvious when they're in junior high because they don't know how to hide it and cover it yet. Guys, there's the river. And Satan wants us in the river. He just doesn't want us standing for the Lord. Just get in the river. <clears throat> for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. And they just wraps it all up right there. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Wow. That should be a wake-up call for everybody. Everything you want, it's going away. But anyone who does what pleases the God will live forever. Colossians chapter 4, and this is where he kind of brings it into balance, the being in the world but not of the world. The Lord doesn't want us to move up in the mountains and, and form a commune, okay? He wants you to be in the world because the world doesn't change unless you're in the world. But you don't, he doesn't want you to be changed, you don't go along with the world. You be the change for the world. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Liz, live wisely among those who are not believers. He's not compromised on the fact that there are such things as unbelievers and that they're headed for destruction. He just says your responsibility is to live wisely among them. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You get one shot at this life. One. When, when, I was, when I was this age, I didn't understand this. You know, you don't think about the limitedness of life or, the, or your mortality or anything like that. Now that I'm, I'm approaching middle age, I'm really, I'm really thinking through uh, life, mortality, limitedness. I get one shot at this life. What am I going to do with it? I get one shot. I get one opportunity to serve the Lord with this life. I get one life to pour out as an offering. This isn't a day and time. You know this way that that we, as Christians we talk about well, that you were called for such a time as this and we think this is your 15 seconds of Christian fame? That's not it. Your whole life is a drink offering. Your whole existence. You get one existence to be used for and by the Lord, but but you understand that Satan is going to make sure that he dangles a bunch of shiny things in front of you every step of the way. He's going to make sure that that next um, endeavor you should be involved with, even though it's a little risky, even though it's a little maybe immoral, but, but it's not real bad, you should be involved with it. That next show or that next Music thing or that next relationship. or It's going to be good. It's going to work out. It's not going to be horrible. And he's going to dangle that in front of you. And that work relationship. Well, don't you want to get promoted? Well, if you do this, you're not going to get promoted. Can't tell you how much I've seen that just in the last three or four months with this political stuff. You better play the game or you will be completely ostracized my response is, I like ostriches. (laughs) Should write that down. That was pretty good right there. (laughs) 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 Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. He's pleading with us. Because if I could say this, I've had people plead with me about this over the years, and I plead with you, give yourself completely to the Lord. Give yourself. Let your bodies, this is your physicalness, which is tied directly to spiritual, emotional, everything. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This gets in my spirit. There's so many ways that we look at worship nowadays. And it has to be this way. It has to be this style of music. Or it has to be this. Or, you know, it has to be flags. Or it has to be dancing. Or whatever. Okay, I don't have a problem with any of that stuff. Just whatever. Whatever you need to do. But but this right here says the way that you really worship him is you give him you. That's worship. You give him you. Think about that in your, in your marriage relationship. Do you want a bunch of gifts and things, or do you want your spouse to be all in with you? Don't, don't make the wrong decision there. He says, let this, this is truly the way to worship him. And then look, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is what? It's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray and I want you to pray and think, but what you're going to be praying is not exactly the same thing I'm going to be praying. What you're going to be praying is for you where if you... If you feel like you're being pulled into the stream, in the middle of the stream in some way or another, talk to God about it right now. This would be my suggestion, repent. Ask him to to pull you back toward him. Pull you away from just getting along because there's compromise there. And if you know you're compromising, repent. And ask him to help you to get away from that. I don't know where it is for you. Every one of us in here are different. I know the things God works on me about with this, but to say, God, I just want to be completely in with you. Completely. You're my God. Completely in. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. God, I pray for every person in this room. Holy Spirit, just open us up to you. Lord, you knew long before today the stuff we need to work on and change. You know the stuff that's that's pulling us away from you. You know the stuff that we are are giving our life to and that become our priorities over you. Things, resources, people. Lord, we just repent. Because you're God and that's what matters. You're God. Lord, I pray against this mentality that we all have to be unified, that we all have to walk in lockstep together. Lord, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Lord, you've called us to follow you, not follow anybody, anything, any entity. You've called us to follow you. So, Lord, help us to, to, to separate ourselves, to pull spiritually, emotionally, outside the influence of unbelievers. Jesus, we want to follow you. So Lord, I repent of when I don't do that well. When I let my eyes be diverted into a different direction, my heart turned, my spirit turned, Lord, help, help me to follow you completely. And I pray that for every one of us, help us just to follow you completely, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, convict us. And then when we repent, rebuild us, regenerate us, and fill us with your spirit. God, and I pray for every one of us in here that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit and that we go into work, we're full of your Spirit. We are the change agents. We are the, the, the light. We're the motivators. We're the truth speakers. Fill us with your Spirit. That in our families, we're the truth speakers at all times. That we don't we don't allow outside influences to... to mess with our family, we will stand with truth. We will stand on your word, Lord God. In the name of Jesus. God, help us to be the people you can trust. Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I want to give you an opportunity real quick. We're going to pray for Jesus to be our Savior for, for us to be reading this come out from the unbelievers means you need to be a believer so we're going to pray we're all going to pray together we're just going to ask Jesus to be God over our life but if you say that's me I, I need I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior I need him to be my God I'd like you to raise your hand real quick okay yeah. alright quite a few hands Okay, so so here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray this together, but whether you raised your hand or not, really raising the hand is more for me, I think. But whether you raised your hand or not, to say, Lord, I need you to be in charge of me, we're going to pray this together. So just repeat this prayer. Everybody in the room, repeat this prayer with me. And uh, let's just ask Jesus to be God of our life. Lord God, I need you more than anything. I submit my life to you. I ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus and forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you, Lord. And I will walk in you to the best of my ability for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I thank you for this. Thank you. You love us so much we are so indebted to you. Thank you, Jesus. So God, take us from here full of your Holy Spirit, full of your power, eyes open, and give us the ability to see the ways that Satan is trying to mess with us. And Lord, help us to pull away from just getting along. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Look for a chance to tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night or at my house tonight at The Journey.